You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. What does a golf club committee actually do? We know they're usually volunteers and we know they make the day-to-day decisions on behalf of most of us at our clubs. But what really goes on underneath the bonnet? What do committees and boards do well and what happens when they go bad? If you've ever wanted to know anything about those elected to serve you in the case of a private members club or those helping an owner in the case of a proprietary club and you didn't know where to turn, well perhaps we can help you over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. With me to get into a chat about everything from captains to subcommittees is Jerry Kilby, a renowned golf industry governance expert and the founder of Canda Golf, who've been offering management support to clubs for more than four decades. Let's dive in. Jerry, welcome to the From the Clubhouse podcast. Hi, Steve. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for doing it. Um, I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion about governance and committees and boards. I think it's a subject that a lot of club golfers probably think they know a little bit about because we all receive communications from our committees and boards, but actually what's going on beneath the bonnet or under the bonnet, unless you're actually involved in a committee or a board, whether that's a private members club or a proprietary club, might escape us. So it's probably helpful, actually, if you just introduce to all of us what governance is and how it affects the way that our clubs are run yeah very simply um governance is a sort of phrase that embraces everything connected with how decisions are made in an organization um and good governance uh, an organization that shows good governance um ensures that in the not-for-profit organizations like members golf clubs those decisions are open and transparent. In other words, you know, everybody knows the decisions have been made and they've been arrived at through a democratic uh, process. And uh, are the people that have made those decisions accountable for their for their decision making? If, if that is open and, uh, as I say, transparent and everybody who's a member of the organisation can see, then you have a, a, effectively a good governance process problems start to happen is if, as, as has hap- happened in the past at some golf clubs where somebody says, who made that decision? And did they have the authority to make that decision? You know, did they really think about this beforehand? And I didn't know it would be made as a member. So that's that, that's the opposite of good governance and and poor governance. I hope that sort of explains it. Yeah, it does. And, and, and I think um, it might be worth actually explaining the difference in how this works between members clubs and proprietary clubs as well, because I think I mean, you might tell me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, as a member of a members club, we have a stake in that club. We're effectively owners of it, whereas a, a proprietary club, that can be different. There's, there, there is someone who has bought the club and 
it is theirs they run it as a business just if i'm wrong there just explain to me where it no, you're absolutely right in a, in a members club um where, where the club itself is owned by its members then yes you might be one five hundredth or one six hundredth of, of an owner of that business therefore you are a stakeholder you're not a shareholder in the legal sense um or unlikely to be uh, but you're a stakeholder in it and you have rights um those rights are enshrined in what's called the Articles of Association that every club must have. A document must be available to the members to see. And um, it's usually on the, the member side of the club website. Um, it sets out all the voting rights, membership rights um, to ensure democracy exists in that own uh, organisation. A proprietary club, yes, would be... Um, you know, one owner or indeed a corporation. It could be owned by a business. Um, there are a number of uh, golf facilities across the UK that are owned by hotel groups, um, entrepreneurs, you know, commercial entities. Um, so um, it, in those situations, those organisations, it could be one individual or it could be a board of directors of, of that company would be responsible for the management and the members of those proprietary facilities don't have any management say but of course they're customers of that business so the owner or the owners would be wise in my opinion to to, to listen but they don't have to um, do everything those those people want I, I imagine that um looking at members clubs say a members got uh, members club has 700 members um and all of them are stakeholders in the club, as it were. I imagine that decisions that then to be made can be quite tricky. That's quite a tricky process. So how do uh, committees and boards in that structure work in order to keep that accountability that you talked about earlier on? Well, well first of all, it's, it's quite important in a well-governed members-owned golf club that the committee or board, I'll talk about the differences in a minute, but whatever your club has uh, as its principal and highest uh, org you know, committee, whatever, you, whatever name you give it, that they are elected and have a, uh, represent a cross-section of the different types of the members in the club. You know, um, I, I think it's important that you know, whilst it's not always easy to make sure that every different section within the membership are represented you should make sure that as many of them are so they it's not just going to be represented for example as may have been the case in some clubs in the past by retired gentlemen it, it, it's got to be the active working golfer as well and certainly the ladies section and certainly you know various people who play occasionally and and, and those, as well as those who play regularly, several times a week, have to be represented. And if your committee is, rep is a representative cross-section, then the difficult task, as you describe it, of, of making decisions in the best interests of as many members as possible, becomes a bit easier, because the debates and the discussion include the views of the different types of membership. But it is impossible to please all the people all the time we, we know that and therefore the difficult job boards and, and committees have is to try and find out what is, is the right decision to make that is in the best interest of the majority 
you know, and, and that's the case in every democratic you know, environment, whether we look at politics and, and governments and how they run countries or whether we look at our, our own little small institutions uh, like our golf club, that you know, are, is, are those people democratically elected? Do they represent a cross-section of, of the people who are uh, asked to elect them? And are they making the best decisions they can in the interests of the majority of the members? But to please everybody is an impossible task. Well, well, let's move on then to the difference between boards and committees, because it is something that we're seeing a lot now, particularly over the last few years, committees that are moving to boards or, or hybrids of, of such. So what is primarily the difference between a committee, a traditional committee structure that we've seen for the last hundred years or so, and the more modern board that's starting to spring up at, at, at clubs everywhere? Well, for many years, and you know, if we look back in the history of private members clubs in the UK, those that were started 100 plus years ago um, were always technically known as unincorporated clubs or associations. It's a legal structure for a business that was uh, allowed. Um, and, you know, there are many, many thousands of unincorporated clubs and associations across the UK right now. But as we have grown and, and society has grown and these golf clubs have developed more into larger businesses, the trend has been to change the legal structure of golf clubs from being unincorporated to being incorporated, in other words, to become a limited company. And I think from my last uh, figures I saw from England Golf, which is, of course, is the largest governing body in the four uh, home countries, they are saying that all bar about 20% of golf clubs have made that jump from being unincorporated to incorporated, to trading as a limited company. And one of the laws that the UK Companies House uh, organisation and, and the government insist upon is that a limited company must have a board of directors. So that's led to the trend from uh, away from committees into boards. Um, because if you're a limited company, by law, you have to have a board of directors. And there are legal responsibilities for those who are elected to be a director. So what essentially, um, consider me an idiot here because I am, what, what, what is the difference essentially between an unincorporated and an incorporated club? Well, it, it's, a, it's a, I don't want to try and sort of... Uh, uh, confuse the issue more than I, 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 I need to, but a, a limited company has uh, a legal standing um, and has can own assets, can, can trade, um, but an unincorporated body can't own assets. Um, so an unincorporated body has to have trustees that they elect to own any assets, like for example, they may own the land or they may own machinery that maintains the golf course. They may own a clubhouse buildings and, and other um, properties. So those have to be held by trustees on behalf of the members. But in a limited company, um, it, that is held by the board of directors and it's held by, uh, it can trade as, as that and it can borrow money against them. It's, it's a whole range of things and I'm sure Many of your listeners may be, you know, directors of their own limited companies and or, or have experience of the company's law. So it, it, there is a big difference. The main reason for the trend is, in, in as business has grown and as 
the golf industry has grown. And these golf clubs are now, you know, multi-million pound businesses in some cases. Then there is an increased risk that goes with all of that. And I don't need to tell you because the columns of your fine publications have talked about issues where clubs have fallen foul uh, of one regulation or another and you know open themselves up to um, litigation um, whether it would be accidents at work or accidents by golfers or anything else and in such circumstances an unincorporated body if they were found uh, guilty of such a breach the individuals who are usually trustees and the committee members may end up being liable but in a in a limited company, individuals are not liable. In a, in a club, the first thing, one of the first statutes with the, with the club's articles would state is that the maximum liability of any one member would be a pound. So if it were sued and it had to close and, and, and uh, cease trading, each member might be asked to contribute a pound and no more. But in an unincorporated organisation, the risk is higher. And that's a huge distinction, I think, because we're going to get on to um, um, the makeup of boards and committees soon. But, um, you know, essentially these people are volunteers um, in, in a lot of cases, aren't they? And they're doing it because, you know, they love the club or they want to give something back to the club. So I suppose the idea of potentially being saddled with quite a lot of debt if something goes wrong has put people off in the past. Yes, and whilst many unincorporated clubs will have, you know, volunteers who've said, yes, I'll be a trustee, what I found in talking to clubs and club managers, uh, as I do, is that it's increasingly difficult to get somebody new to replace one of those trustees when they you know, finish their term of office or they decide they've you know, done enough years as a trustee, or indeed some of them pass on. So, you know, Finding another willing volunteer to to become a trustee is increasingly difficult. So some clubs are faced with the the necessity to move to an incorporated structure um, because it, it not not only does it make um, sense from a risk point of view, but it, it, it by by necessity sometimes they they have to do it because they can't find volunteers. Obviously, Jerry, a lot of the work that you do. Um, focuses on on clubs that are having um, particular issues with governance, perhaps, or, or, or particular problems. But, but and we'll get into a discussion of some of those issues and what clubs can do about them in a second. But um, I suppose before we um, get into that, uh, it's important as well to accentuate the the positives of what committees and boards and 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 proprietary organisations themselves as well do. I mean, the the people who serve on these on these structures, as we said a minute ago, are essentially volunteers. They do it because they want to give something back to the club. And and however this works out and however the um, personalities come together in these organisations, the general starting point is one of goodwill, isn't it? Yes, and I, I'm a believer that committees are really good structures as long as, as I said earlier, the people who are elected to them represent a cross-section of the club not just one particular uh, interest group, if you like, in the club, um, because be, with, with collaboration and with different views and with a good, you know, healthy debate in an organisation, that organisation will come to good decisions. You know, what the decisions won't be very healthy if 
there's only one or two voices who express one point of view because as we know there's always a second um point of view isn't there there's a, there's always a the other side to the to the coin that you know in a debate you have to listen to both sides and then come to a a, a, a collaborative decision so I, I like committees for that point of view the other thing is that i think because you made your club this club we're talking about this fictitious club we're talking about with 700 members because it has 700 members and because those 700 members are likely to have 700 views on different things the last thing that organization needs is radical and rash and rushed decisions you know um which they may regret later uh, or, or the people will say well, that was a ridiculous decision you know who made that why let's reverse it and get back a committee tends to eliminate those um rash decisions because somebody will say that's silly we haven't thought thought that through well, let's continue let's not do that until everybody is happy so it, the downside of that is of course sometimes the decisions take longer to actually uh, materialize but it's on the whole a healthy process one of the things that expressions i always feel is, is 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 very good to describe private members golf clubs is um evolution is much better than revolution and and, and in many in that in that sense the clubs evolve over time they, they change slowly every couple of years some some rule changes some new things are introduced things happen and on it progresses that that's healthy and i think that's sensible and if we look back in time, many golf clubs have progressed enormously over the last 10, 15, 20 years or more. Um, talk to any member of club who's been at their club for let's say 20 years plus, and they'll talk about the old days in which that happened and this happened. So clubs do evolve. What I don't think golf clubs like, and uh, it's not healthy for golf clubs, is revolution, overnight, you know, dramatic change that, that, that will be received badly in one section or another of the membership so i like committees because they tend to flatten those decisions out and make gentle and sensible change over time i think if you ask uh, a lot of club members about committees i don't I, I don't want to use the word apathetic i don't think it's the right word but but i think you get the point i'm making i'm, I'm trying to make here that until a until a committee makes a decision that a particular member either likes or doesn't like um it can be quite difficult or or um they might not have the inclination to get involved in what the committee are doing so is it is it a poison chalice in a sense to be a committee member in that you know for whatever you do there is going to be somebody that disagrees with you or whatever decision you you take there might be somebody who's you've never heard of before who is suddenly furious and arm wavering about what you've decided yes it, it can be that it is a in many sense a thankless task and one of the things i try and do when i help clubs is to try and get a structure which communicates the difficulty that committee members have in their decision making to the rest of the membership and and I, I don't blame people for saying, look, I, all I want to do is I want to pay my subscription and I want to turn up at the, you know, when I want to play golf and go out and enjoy my game and have a drink with some friends afterwards, perhaps, and, blah, 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 and then go home and then do it all again a week later. They don't want to get involved. They've got busy lives. They've got you know, 
careers. They've got their own families and other things occupying their time. And I cannot blame people for saying, I don't want to get involved. It's, you know. But it, what I ask everybody to do is at the very mi minimum, every member of a club to do is the very minimum, is just respect the difficulty that those committee, those well-meaning volunteers have, understand that they you know, aren't always able to make the decisions that, that benefit them personally, read the information that's sent out, you know, because they send newsletters, they'll send letters from the updates from the chairman or the treasurer or whatever it happens to be from time. Please read them, because frequently I find committee members saying to me, it's no point because we send out this information. Then, you know, two weeks later, you get somebody coming up to you in the bar and saying, you know, why are you doing this? Well, did you read the information? We said, no, I never read it. You know, so one of the responsibilities as an individual member of that club is, I believe, to read the information the committee sent to you. So whether you agree with it or not, is, is, is your, that's your freedom. But please read it <laughs> because I think that's important. Another responsibility of an individual member of a club, I think, is to reply to surveys and respond to surveys, because this is an easy and quick way for your views to be known. And the committee, when they look at surveys, will say, oh, great, we had of our 700 members, we had 500 people respond. So we've got a very good cross section of views in our, represented in our survey. So please, 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 to individual members of clubs, when, when your committee sends you a survey, take a few minutes to complete it. And, and register your views. And the third thing is, it, you know, try and as much as possible attend your annual general meeting. It, you know, try and vote and, and for somebody who you think is going to represent your views as best as possible from the candidates that are up for election. You know, it's part of the democratic process, isn't it? If we think of that, this democratic process in, in government, you know, part of our responsibility as a good citizen is, I believe, to, to when it comes to general election times is to vote if you can, unless something is preventing you from doing so. The more people vote, the better the chance is that the people we elect will represent us. When the, the, the turnout is small, the chances of a particular faction of views being represented uh, is greater. And you know, that could be equally happening in a golf club as it can in, in, in central government. So those three responsibilities, read the, read the information that's sent out, participate in surveys, and if wherever possible, please turn up to, to, to AGMs or vote by post or however the rules allow you to do so, express your, your right to vote. So I think you'll remember in the early to mid 90s, there was a rather famous television documentary um, around uh, a certain club. Everyone knows who they are. We don't need to, we don't need to go into that any further. I'm using this as a crutch for something else. So at our fictitious golf club um, of 700 members, we're going to have a fictitious television documentary um, and a team that have gone in there to um, see when governance goes bad. <laughs> Let's have that as the working title. Um, what are the things that, that clubs often contact you about that they're having problems with around governance to, to put a serious spin on it um you know what 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 are those issues that that often are holding clubs back when it comes to governing their their particular outfit and what is it that makes members particularly cross and how can these things be avoided a lot of detail a lot of questions there so we yeah get time to go through them okay um well i think 
Well, for, for on your first point, I don't think anybody new needs to make a documentary about what goes bad in governments because it was already made and it was aired in 19, whatever it was, 90 something or other. Um, so that was a particularly good example of how it could go wrong. But clubs, I, I hear from clubs and, and, and I sometimes are asked to get involved with clubs when typically something has happened uh, at the club that had caused a bit of a ripple. Sometimes that ripple can be a gigantic tsunami, but frequently it's, it's a, a, a ripple or something has gone wrong. And by that, I mean, sometimes, um, for example, um, a, a chairman you know, or a, a member of, or several members of a board or a committee may feel the need over one issue or another to resign and step away you know, in the middle, middle of their term or before their term comes up for renewal. And a club finds itself having to either find or elect or persuade somebody to to be a new chairman or a new uh, officer of the club and and it's over an incident or an issue or a disagreement between people sometimes they you know they ask me to come in and sort of mediate but also find a solution a way out um and say well okay this is this is what you might do temporarily and this is what you may have to do in the long term and uh, so sometimes you know, many clubs, I don't want to say that they overestimate this, you know, of the 2,000 odd um, golf clubs across the UK, I'd probably say that 85% of them are operating perfectly fine. But from time to time, some will come across something. And it, you know, it could be as, as innocent as, you know, somebody having to step away from a committee or because they can't do it anymore. They move home, they, they, they become ill or, or, or they just can't devote the time because something else happens in their lives. And, you know, it, it sort of starts to say, well, how are we going to run properly when we don't have anybody that's prepared to be chairman? I, I had one club um, you know, contact me recently where their last two chair people who had been elected for three years term didn't last 18 months. They resigned prior to 18 months because it was going wrong. And I think um, that, that tends to happen sometimes. Also, it can happen that um, you know, a club is potentially in, in financial difficulties or has, um, has struggled to solve big problems. Uh, another club uh, asked me you know, to get involved because their clubhouse was pretty nearly close to falling down and they needed to develop a plan to hopefully build a new one and but they didn't know how about going going about creating a plan and previous plans that had been drafted by previous chairman captains all sorts of people at that club had just not gained any interest from anybody else and they'd sat in gathering dust in a drawer somewhere and so it usually is an issue you know, a, a problem that that causes somebody to say well, maybe we should get an outsider to come and look at us and give us an opinion as to what we might do to solve this problem. And that's that's typically what gets me involved. But, you know, um, others are saying you know, we need to move from being unincorporated to incorporated. It makes a huge amount of uh, sense or the legal and the other point of view, but it's complicated and you know, we need help uh, in, in the process, not just from lawyers and accountants who you know, it, is, it involves spending of money, um, but um, 
uh, in terms of communicating the, the, the decision to our membership. So uh, that, that's the, these, those are the sort of times when, when I tend to get involved. And, uh, and it's, um, it, it's very interesting. You know, I, I think it really is quite, quite interesting to see the different issues at the different clubs. You, you talked about ripples, and I thought that was an interesting turn of phrase because um, some of these things can often start out small, yeah. but the ripple can become a tsunami pretty quickly, particularly in a close-knit environment like a, like a golf club if it's not sorted out. How destructive can these things be, poor governance, if they're not dealt with promptly? Yes, uh, it, they, they can be. You're absolutely right. I think... Um, Ripples are, uh, uh, it should be you know, applying a, a red flag to the committees and saying, well, you know, it's not causing us major disaster now, but it could do if we don't deal with it. And um, that's the time to act. And you know, however, whatever that they, they do to, to solve that problem, frequently it's communication. You know, one of the one, one of the challenges I think we have of our time in this digital age is effective communications and that may seem strange because we've got every tool at our disposal from you know messaging and uh, email and goodness knows what else you know what's happened a thousand other options available to us to to communicate with our members but it is because it's so crowded and so noisy it is very difficult to break through you know we're all getting we've all got mobile phones and they get inundated with all sorts of messages from all sorts of places how do you, you know, cut through the noise so that your message from a committee resonates with the, and, and is read and, uh, and, and is understood by, by the membership? Because frequently, you know, those ripples can, can quieten down if people actually understood why, um, uh, why the decision was made. Oh, right, now, now I've got the information I understand now. That's fine. I, I didn't understand previously. And yeah, that's, that's good. So it's usually about communication. Yeah, because one, I, I think this happens a lot um, in golf clubs. I've been a member of a number over the years, both proprietary and, yeah. and private members. And once a section of the membership perceives there to be an issue, that spreads around the club like wildfire. I know you use the word ripple, but I think a blaze is, a, is another appropriate term. And then suddenly everybody in the club is talking about it, or a large percentage of the club talking about and you've lost the argument because once people have made up their minds in that way it's very difficult to change them isn't it well it is and this is why i say communications is one of the great challenges of of our time you know chinese whispers happens an awful lot i was talking with a friend of mine yesterday and you know he said that his uh, his wife who's also a member of the club was talking to a fellow lady member who had misinterpreted or more likely heard from a friend who heard from a friend of hers who heard from a friend of hers what who had actually read the committee document. But in each, in each telling, the, the change, it changed, the message changed. So when it got back to him and he was a member of the committee, he you know, said, no, that's not what we decided. <laughs> and that's not what, it, and if you like to read, you know, the, the information that came out from the committee, it tells you a completely different story. But it, you know, Chinese whispers is a, is a, is a, is a very, um, active and big factor in golf clubs um, because we would in many cases prefer to listen to the mate that we you know share a game of golf with than you know what the committee send us and that's that's what we have to try and change so hence my 
encouraging to all golfers to please read the information the committee send out to you yourself. Don't entrust your, your, your friend to praise it for you and give you a summary. Read it yourself. You've given us some very um, good advice on what we as club members can do to assist in good governance. You know, reading the reading the communications, um, filling in surveys, voting and attending um, the AGM and so on. What can clubs do better, you think, then around um, governance? What, what do committee members and board members need to do to make this a symbiotic process? Well, it's a great question. And, and I think to start with, I'd like to say that there is an excellent document available on the on the websites of all four governing bodies, England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland, which um, is called the uh, Club Governance Guide. And if you just go to any one of those websites and type in Club Governance, there's a PDF document of a really good guide. Um, I, I was pleased, along with many others, to help draft the original version of that. And now England Golf and all the other governing bodies refine it every couple of years and improve it. But it's a really good guide. And that's what I think committee should start with. Download that, read it, understand it, um, because it gives you excellent advice as a committee as to what you should be doing and, and how governance can, can work well at your club. One of the things that I tend to find that is missing from um, most clubs I, I tend to visit and talk to is that the volunteers that stand for election or appointment to a various post on a committee, on a board or as a club official, e.g. a club captain, do not have any written description of the role that's expected they, them to fulfil. And this is something I encourage clubs to do. It's in the governance guide issued by the governing bodies. And you know, I believe each volunteer should have a role description in the same way that each employee has a job description. Um, it, this, this, you can't call it job descriptions because, of course, they're not paid. It's, but the club should set out what it believes is the roles and responsibilities of the person that fills that position. And this should be documented so it's clear that when somebody says, oh, I'd like to stand for election to the to the committee or to the board, then, you know, um, they are given this role description to read and understand saying, great, thank you very much for volunteering. If you were elected, this is the role that will be expected of you. And that role description covers, you know, attendance at committee meetings, you know, making sure you're, the decisions that you make are in the best interest of the majority. You can't you know, declare any um, um, interests that where, you know, for example, you can't uh, vote to spend money on a certain brand of machinery because you're uh, a shareholder in that company. For example, you know, those are the types of things you have to declare. Um, and, and it just sets out good governance. Because if you don't have any guidelines, written guidelines, that person who is you know, attending their first board meeting or you know, is suddenly finds themselves in the role of vice captain and soon will be captain of the club, is completely free to put their own personal interpretation of what the role entails. And as many of your listeners will, will, will attest, I'm sure, 
every golf club has had some excellent captains who have been brilliant ambassadors and central figures for their clubs you know, during their time of office. But equally, there may have been a few that haven't been quite so successful in the role. And I think this helps by defining what the role is first so that the person has a clear understanding of what the club as a whole, that's the, the membership, expect from their director of the board or a member of the management committee or a member of the golf and social committee or a member of the greens committee, whatever it happens to be, should be documented. And I think that is a missing part uh, that many clubs don't have. Um, there are templates available for these role descriptions uh, available from the downloadable from all the governing bodies' websites. Or I'd be pleased to help if somebody wanted to. But that's one example of um, you know where I think a club can improve its governance quite simply. Yeah, I think you've partly answered my next question here. So well done. Um, which is if you ask a lot of club members um, about committees or if they're approached to be on. Uh, committee. I think I, I don't think I'm you know, being too out there in saying in a lot of cases you're going to get some resistance or some reluctance because people go, I just want to play my golf or I can't be bothered, I can't be bothered with the hassle um, because they have a perception of what that time is going to be and how that's going to be spent. How can boards and committees make the task of serving the club more attractive um, to those who might be otherwise disinclined to volunteer? Well, the first thing they should do is be honest to the people who are thinking about putting their name forward in terms of what's um, expected of them. As I've just said, there's a clear role description. Um, you know, you're expected to attend a committee meeting once a month. You know, you're expected to do this, you're expected to do that. Now, the longer that list is, the less likely people will be um, willing to volunteer. I, 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 I helped one club recently who you know, said, we can't get anybody to be our next lady captain. And I said, OK, you've got a document which describes the role that you, you, you expect of the lady captain. And, and a second document they had about the role of the vice captain. So they had they detailed down. And, and if I tell you that the, the vice captain's role was four pages of A4 of work, they expected that individual to do. I would not be exaggerating. And I then said, you know, if you asked any willing volunteer to do this, this is a full-time job. You wouldn't have anything else to do. And I'm really not surprised that individuals are saying they're not prepared to sign up to that. You know, a lot of people have other things, other interests, families, you know, jobs, other things going on in their life. And therefore look at those uh, tasks that you're expecting the person to do and review them and say, could they be done by management team? Could they be done by staff? You know, perhaps you know, have a discussion with your club's secretary, general manager, whoever you have as, as, your, as, your, as your management team, your employees, because sometimes they are in a, in a really good position to take on some of those jobs and are willing to do them because they see that as part of their role. But it's got to be an open and honest discussion. But the more you place, more responsibility you place on the volunteer, the less likely people will, will, will step forward. Make the job um, something doable. Uh, another piece of advice I, I gave a club recently was to say, um, 
you know, when a, a board director, uh, one board director was getting numerous emails from fellow members of the club complaining about this, that or the other, that, or decisions they made or th things they should be discussing and, and considering. And it got to the point where he had, you know, literally hundreds of, of emails in his inbox every month. And I said, look, you, you can't expect somebody to answer each and every one of them as much as he wants to. And I think, you know, you can, a volunteer shouldn't be expected to, to do that. I think, you know, and I said this club, I think you should make, inform all the members that all, you know, issues of feedback should go to the general manager. And the manager, you know, the manager's job will be to filter those, reply to the members personally, you know, and say, you know, no, this is what happened, or yes, yeah, so I'll put that on the agenda for the next meeting, or whatever. And, you know, that he's in a, or she's in a much better position to do that than an individual. Also, you get consistency of messaging, because it's, it's you know, one board member say, you're absolutely right, I'll take that up at the next meeting, another board member will, will reply differently. So, you know, look at what's happening with those people and reduce the, the stress and the, and the workload on them and you might get more people willing to volunteer. Finally, we talked about um, the evolution that we're uh, seeing in golf clubs at the moment that we've always seen um, throughout the history of clubs. Um, looking ahead, what do you think the future looks like for governance of golf clubs, whether that be um, proprietary or private members? Do you continue to expect to see evolution in the move from committees to boards or hybrids, or could we even see an entirely new structure in the future that we've not even considered yet? Well, I do think um, the the trend towards incorporation will continue. Um, I say if it's 20% of clubs today in 10 years time, it may only be 10%, uh, clubs will move that way. And therefore there'll be more boards and fewer committees. Having said that, a, a board, I do think, has got to focus on the business side. And I do see boards saying, listen, we'll have a board of directors who are responsible for running the business, the finances, making sure the assets and the employees and everything else are doing the right jobs. And have a second committee, might called be a club committee or a captain's committee, whatever you want to do, frequently chaired by a captain or lady captain, who would look after the golfing and the social activity. So the, the board are not responsible and do not spend time talking about you know, what data we're going to hold the monthly medal on or you know, who's going to play in the match against our neighbouring club. You know, those are golfing matters that can be dealt with by another group. Boards to, will focus more on the business side and committees can look after other aspects. And there may be, in some bigger clubs, there may be several committees, of course. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it could be a social committee, it could be a house committee, it could be a greens committee, other things, other committees could exist. So I see boards and committees working in, in collaboration at, at clubs. I do see and I hope that more clubs will start thinking more about strategic planning and creating documented um, plans for their forthcoming three to five year period. Um, not just budgets for those years and financial forecasts, but actually plans. What are we going to do? What are we planning to do? Now, these plans should be agreed by a board, put in place, uh, communicated to the membership so everybody knows what's happening. And also, they can be changed from time to time because circumstances change. 
maybe you don't have the finances that you hoped you had, so we have to delay this or look at it a different way. But plans can evolve and change and, and be, be, be changed as they, as they are implemented over time. So I hope, but I hope it's, it's important. You know, somebody once said, if you don't have a plan, you know, any road you take can get you there because it, you know, nobody knows where you're supposed to be going. So make sure you have a plan. You know, make sure you have a plan. Even if it is, we, we, we love our course, there's no major changes to the course we're going to have and our clubhouse is great. So all we're going to do is continually improve and maintain and improve and maintain what we have. Then find that, but document it um, and have that written down. And the other thing I, I, I do think the future um, is going to see a trend towards less of a reliance on treasurers, volunteer treasurers at clubs to actually provide the management accounts. I see this being a very um, onerous task, usually for a, a member who's an accountant or uh, was perhaps an accountant, a retired accountant frequently, uh, to actually produce you know, management accounts for the board meeting every month you know, he might even fulfil the role of bookkeeper, actually coming into the into the office of the club and physically doing the work. I see a trend away from that as people are less interested, even accountants, you know, possibly more especially accountants, would not be willing to do that work on, in an unpaid capacity. I see a trend towards the club making the management and the management team, a bookkeeper administrator, being responsible with you know, good software in producing management accounts and less of a reliance on honorary treasurers to do that. So that will change the treasurer's role or the finance director, if you're in an incorporated business, um, to more of an oversight of the accounts, looking at the numbers, interrogating them, checking that all, all is well and nobody's made any mistakes and providing advice to, to the rest of the board directors, financial advice to board members. You know, once a month at their meetings. So I, I see that as being a, a, an increasing trend as, as the future years um, unfold. Fascinating discussion, Jerry. Uh, if there are any clubs out there um, that are struggling with some governance issues and uh, they might want your help, how can they get in touch with you? Um, I, I have a website, candagolf.com. That's K-A-N-D-A golf.com. Um, or through your fine offices, I can maybe have your my email address is contactable there. But it's all on my website, so I'm happy for people to get in touch if if they feel I might be able to help. Well, hopefully, um, we've provided listeners with everything they ever wanted to know about governance. Um, thanks very much for coming on the From the Clubhouse uh, podcast, Jerry. Great to uh, speak with you, and um, yeah, a uh, fine discussion, I think. Thank you very much for, uh, for for the time and for listening. Uh, I hope it's been interesting and uh, I hope some of it may be of, of use to some people. So, uh, yeah, many thanks and um, carry on your good work. It's good stuff for your podcast. I really enjoy listening. So well done. Thank you.